0: is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 5.54 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the 13th of October, 2020. This is episode 301. Of Bitcoin and the September 2020 Journal of Bitcoin Words is out. It actually came out a couple of days ago. I think it came out over the weekend. I was supposed to bring it to you yesterday, but once again, the cold moved around and ended up in my chest. And I woke up yesterday morning with chills again. And I'm like, nope, 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 nope. I'm just going to lay right here and try not to die. Um, feeling a little bit better right now but you never know this is probably going to be a rough show it's going to be peppered with coughs i don't have a cough button it's not like i work at nbc studios okay so i don't have i don't have the gear bruh. so you know you're just going to have to deal with it um yeah so the september 2020 journal of bitcoin words is out it's up on bitcoinwords.github.io you can go look for all of their juicy stuff there a uh, little uh teaser for what's going to be in this issue let's see the headlines are once inflation starts it won't be contained bitcoin is a tool for secession that's kind of an interesting read uh, different bitcoins different places what is an xpub bitcoin is one for all the Potoshi mining machine uh Pwell's 21 laws of bitcoin map of the bitcoin network mpps and wumbo channels alchemy of hash power part two tweet thread on the lightning network user experience Bitcoin in the institutional investment portfolio, things Bitcoiners don't want to hear. There's lots of stuff that we don't want to hear, but we should probably hear it anyway. I uh, got a tweet thread on Chad money, and this is one of the ones that you don't want to hear. Why we may fail lightning. I, I honestly I I really kind of don't understand what the whole thing is with how lightning is just like, you know, two steps away from failure all the time. Dude. Chill. All this stuff is brand new. I mean, like, way brand new. I think Lightning's white paper came out three years ago, maybe on the cusp of four years ago. It's actually been a living, breathing entity for a couple of years. Come on, guys. Dude, chill. Now, Jan Pritzker has a tweet thread that I am going to read right now because it's really interesting. He's repurposing a Tweet thread um, structure that was put out by Eric Townsend um he's based, Eric Townsend was bitching about the uh the virus and that there was there was no way of knowing that the virus could be as bad as it was and and so he tweet or he he made this whole Eric Townsend made this whole tweet thread so that on February the eighth 2020 somebody could look back and say yes, we clearly saw that there was a time that somebody knew what the hell was happening, so there was a way of knowing. Well, Jan cannibalized that in true Bitcoiner fashion. And uh has this one. It says, and this was written on October the 9th, so he uh, cannibalized it. Uh, eh, okay, yeah, it took him a while to cannibalize it, but he cannibalized it on October the 9th at SKWP. That's Jan Pritzker's uh, Twitter handle, in case you don't know. Says this, the purpose uh, is the purpose is to give something to cite when people later claim, quote, but there was no way of knowing, end quote. Hat tip, Eric Townsend, who used the same format to call out the impact of the COVID on February the 8th and made me personally aware of the looming shutdown of the country. Continuing, Bitcoiners smarter than me have been predicting the takeover of the dollar by Bitcoin for many years. In 2014, with Bitcoin barely at $1 billion dollars, Pierre Rochard wrote NakamotoInstitute.org, mempool, blah, blah, blah. He gives, basically, it's 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 a link to this thing, which covers all the incorrect narratives of Bitcoin and stating it will overtake the dollar. Quote, skeptics misunderstand how strong currencies like Bitcoin overtake weak currencies like the dollar. It is through speculative attacks and currency crises caused by investors, not through the careful evaluation of tech journalists and mainstream consumers. End quote. Yon continues, I first became bullish on Bitcoin in the summer of 2016 around a $3 billion market cap, but it was still a toy project at the time in the eyes of most of the financial world, while many technologies thought of it as a v- version one technology to be improved upon. <coughs> Excuse me. The first writings on Bitcoin in the fall of 2016, after four months of study correctly identified the monetary importance, but incorrectly understood blockchain as an application platform and predicted the rise of Ethereum, which I no longer believe can work. Today, at 200 billion dollars market cap, it is exceeding our wildest dreams, while skeptics look on bewildered shouting bubble for 10 years straight. God, 10 years straight. Isn't <laughs> damn being forced to shift goalpost from it will go to zero to two public companies buying an aggregate 500 billion dollars of Bitcoin is not a pattern. <laughs> but to my thinking it was the tweet the week of October the 8th, 2020, when it first became crystal clear that traditional financial media reporting on Bitcoin was out of touch with reality with the announcement of Square's purchase of $50 million in Bitcoin. Media earlier in the year continued to talk criminals and bubbles despite the, in, <clears throat> the entry into Bitcoin space by financial giants such as the New York Stock Exchange and, and the CME and Fidelity Investments into Bitcoin mining by Peter Thiel and entry of macro players like Paul Tudor Jones and Raul Paul. Bitcoin now receives daily coverage in the financial press, while the opinion arms of the same publication write FUD pieces and mislabel Bitcoin news as crypto, cryptocurrency, or coin, as if driven by some insane force to avoid stating the painfully obvious. It was back in August that MicroStrategy, a billion-dollar NASDAQ-listed company, announced the purchase of 21,454 Bitcoin, almost five times the amount Square did. Media mostly slept on the initial purchase. By microstrategy unlike the coverage of square which was widely publicized i immediately recognized that this was the first of many to follow retweeting Saylor's september 15th announcement of the aggregate purchase of 425 million dollars worth of bitcoin for his company's corporate treasury some in traditional finance analyzed this move as a hail mary by a wacky ceo who had voting control and didn't have to answer to anyone but mr Saylor had been using his COVID quarantine time to study the hardest money ever to be invented. A perfect storm for Bitcoin has formed in 2020, which will ultimately lead to the replacement of the dollar. With Bitcoin on the balance sheets of many major corporations and likely states within the next decade, the perfect storm is, 1. Bitcoin is the scarcest and hardest money ever to be invented with a fixed supply that is changeable by no one. 2. More than 7,000 clones and competitors have been created with near-zero market uptake. 3. Dollars are being debased on an unprecedented scale. 4. The world is tired of United States hegemony and censorship over its currency. 5. Countries that are sanctioned by America need a a neutral currency to trade. 6. Corporations need a reserve asset that cannot be debased. 7. Leading companies such as Square and MicroStrategy demonstrating not only the safety of, but a necessity to hold Bitcoin on corporate balance sheets to avoid dollar debasement eight Bitcoin has become incredibly deep and liquid, able to sustain a five hundred million dollar purchase over a few days without major slippage. To summarize, by October the eighth, twenty twenty, it was crystal clear that Bitcoin was going to eat all weaker currencies alive. That includes the dollar. Be long dollars at your own risk. Alright, so there you go, man. That this is the way, bro. This is the way. <clears throat> yep, it's I don't know, man. This is one of those things where It's probably good to have these kind of tweets that are like little, you know, markers on the path is what I I was trying, trying to describe to my daughter what prime numbers were. Uh, She's in, you know, she's, she's getting to that age where in math that she needs to know how to factor and and what factors are. And prime numbers clearly are part of that, that, that whole thing. And I was trying to describe to her that, that prime numbers are sort of markers in the universe, Something that is very crystal clear, cannot be debased, cannot be turned into something that it's not. A prime number is a prime number. It's like they're like big, huge stones on the path throughout the universe. These markers that people like Jan Pritzker put up, these are also stones that you should probably look at that mark where you are on your path to what comes next, because We really don't know what comes next. We have an idea, and that's good. But everything is so weird right now that it's hard to say. Like, for instance, if Bitcoin does eat the dollar, and it probably will, what will that look like? We think it's going to look like something, but it's probably going to look very, very different. But that doesn't change the fact that Bitcoin ate the dollar. See what I'm saying? So... You, you know be careful what we wish for is all I, that's well I'll leave you with now getting back a little bit into the bitcoin treasury of microstrategy and square um who put this i uh, want to oh, mario Roth-Dewis, Rathouis, r a t h o u i s um to sometime this morning put up a tweet that's got he i i don't know if it was him Oh no! This is BitcoinTreasuries.org by Novak. So Rodolfo Novak has apparently built a spreadsheet, and Mario uh, took a screenshot of said spreadsheet and put it out into a tweet. And what does it say? It says Bitcoin Treasuries in publicly traded companies. So we have a spreadsheet here that shows the company name, uh, the symbol on you know whatever it's you know whatever it's trading under whatever ticker ticker symbol. Its market cap. And other items. So, But what we're really going to do is we're just going to list what company holds how much Bitcoin. Starting with MicroStrategy, 38,250 BTC. Galaxy Digital holds 16,651. Square now holds 4,709. Hut 8 Mining Corp owns (coughs) 2,954. Voyager Digital holds 1,239 Bitcoin. Riot blockchain 1053 Bitcoin. Advanced Bitcoin Technologies is 254. Digital X owns 215. Cypherpunk Holdings holds 204. Uh, Ag- Ar- oh, sorry. Argo blockchain holds 126. Grayscale clearly owns a lot more. Uh, damn near, well, 449,596 BTC. It is worth noting at that number that that is 2.14% of the total supply of Bitcoin. The one thing that I don't know is 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 that the total supply right now or is that the total supply at 21 million. I could do the math but we got to move on. Uh, CoinShares has 69,730 BTC, 3IQ the Bitcoin Fund holds 8,295 BTC, BTCE holds 5,215 while 21 shares Bitcoin, Swiss crypto something holds uh, 2,989 BTC. All told, these companies own 601,479 BTC. That is 2.86, 2.8, damn near 3% of the t- total supply of Bitcoin that can exist. Just putting that out there. Just so, because it ain't just square. It's not just grayscale. It's not just microstrategy. More and more, I you know it, the the whole fact that Tahini's or yeah, well the real Tahini's on Twitter and the Tahini's restaurant group. We don't know how much they have because they haven't told us, and probably good for them that they haven't actually said how much you know Bitcoin that they own. It's not a lot, I guarantee it. It's a small company. How much you know? How much money are they going to be able to like you know, like cough up? But real Tahinis isn't on there. Um, I also didn't see Snap HQ on there. They, so both of those companies <coughs> hold BTC as well. You're going to see more and more and more and more and more companies holding BTC, um, and that brings up to you know brings to light what I've what I'm harping on lately is that we're probably going to end up leveraging these corporations' legal departments when the fight comes. It would be my suggestion that you don't bitch and moan. You if you want to, hey, you you can go ahead and cry about how it's de- oh, we're now now we're all corporate and blah 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 again. Be careful of what you wish for because at the end of that road or rather further down the road that you're traveling, what you wish for when it comes to when it comes into being is probably not going to look anything like what you thought. You get what you want; it's the format that's different. You don't have any control over the format. In this particular case, we're going to probably end up going to war with regulators over Bitcoin. I don't care about the shit coins; they can all go burn in hell for all I care. I don't. I I have no energy to 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 worry about them anymore. <clears throat> I, and I do hope that lots of ammunition by the regulators are wasted on, on taking out the scams, simply not because they're taking out scams, but because they're wasting ammunition, ammunition that could be used on Bitcoin. In either event, it really does need to be noted that it's going to be legal departments from MicroStrategy, the legal department from Square, that ends up making this a First Amendment issue and takes it all the way up to the Supreme Court if if and when or if or when, I don't really know which, regulators say something on the order of Bitcoin is now illegal. We are not going to allow you to use it. Well, congratulations. You just bought yourself a shit ton of lawsuits from companies that know how to battle people in court. And it will go there. Why? Well, because Bitcoin is based on a couple of things. One, it's money. Two, um, it's code. All right. So Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals in California, I think it's California, in the ni- late 90s concluded that code is free speech and it is not illegal to use cryptography. Okay, so those, that's the basis, that's the backbone. Okay, the backbone of this technology has been upheld by a circuit court as free speech. Right? So there's that. Money. What is it? What, I can't remember the, the the Supreme Court decision that said corporations are now people. It's like Citizens First or something like that, where they were allowed to uh, deploy their capital in the form of money to, I don't know, like get people elected, you know, donate like so that GE could donate to like, you know, George Bush's reelection campaign or something like that, All right? <laughs> Without Citizens First or whatever that thing is called, that kind of was was not allowed. But now corporations are deemed as people, and as much as I don't like that, and I don't think it's ne- you know I don't think that that's really the best thing in the world. In this particular case, it's going to work in our favor. Why? Well, because if you tell MicroStrategy that their 425 million dollar investment in Bitcoin is now worthless and that they are not allowed to use it, you can bet. That not only will they start talking, they they will literally drag the whole citizens first, that they have the ability to deploy their capital, how they see fit, and for whatever reason they see fit. And they're actually going to use the fact that the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals has upheld the backbone technology of Bitcoin as freedom of speech. These are both First Amendment issues. This will go to the Supreme Court. It will take, if they do it right, it will take years for this shit to get through. That's my prediction. So I could be wrong, but what's not wrong is all the people that are leaving Los Angeles. Obi Nuosu is writing this one uh, yesterday for BTC Times. He says, Californians are proud to be a little cr- crazy. There's something very different about the West Coast attitude to life. Hardly surprising, given that they are descendants of intrepid settlers who crossed an uncharted continent in pursuit of gold. <coughs> While the pioneering spirit spirit of 49 still burns brightly, the Golden State is on the verge of another major migration, but this time it's not an influx, it's an exodus. In the last decade, around 150,000 people have left California, while some of its most famous sons, including Joe Rogan and Graham uh, Graham Stephan, are planning their own exit strategy to places like Nevada or Texas. Why are so many people considering leaving a place where most people would think themselves lucky to live? The answer isn't Californian uh, contrarianism, but the same reason their ancestors made the perilous trip across the prairie, mountain, and desert. Opportunity. California is no longer the land of plenty. Where the streets are paved with gold, many commentators have pointed out that the state is deeply unsustainable, with crippling taxes, a mammoth budget deficit, crumbling infrastructure, and an unstable government. God, it sounds like the Baltics. (laughs) What makes this exodus so ironic is that it's been made possible by Californians' own genius. They have brought us everything from virtual libraries and stores, online gaming, click-and-deliver dining, cinema on-demand, and virtual conferencing. What do Amazon, Steam, Uber, Netflix, and Zoom all have in common? They're all from the West Coast, dude. You could say that California is the victim of its own success. Its technology brought the whole world into our living room, so now it really doesn't matter where you live. Uh, No wonder more people are choosing to leave behind the congestion, pollution, overcrowding, high taxes, and political turbulence, and instead choose a simpler life. That's not crazy. It's common sense. If immigration threatens to turn L.A. from the City of Angels into the City of Ghosts, it's not alone. Other megalopolies... Hold on. Megalopolises. Megalopolis. Okay, Megalopolis. Including London are seeing companies and citizens leaving in droves as they seek cheaper rents and greater health and happiness. I have talked at length about the disruptive potential of widespread remote working, but the speed of change is exceeding my most bullish predictions. Even I, a born and bred Londoner, am planning to relocate from the smoke. Everything that's only possible thanks to Silicon Valley technologies that enable us to work and live wherever there's reliable broadband. What has any of this to do with Bitcoin? Well, as we pursue more decentralized lives, the need for secure digital cross-border mechanisms to communicate and transfer information and value will only increase. Decentralized technologies like Bitcoin are not only important tools that help us hold on to hard-earned value, they are destined to become essential mechanisms for transferring value between parties in every corner of the globe. Great cities grew because they were a locus of opportunity capital, and human resource. The next chapter of human civilization will be defined by decentralization, yet another reason to be banking on Bitcoin. Hmm? Okay, see? So there you go. Um, this <laughs> We're going to be watching this as a slow-moving train wreck for the next few years. Um, and I'm going to be guessing at least five before the majority of the people that were going to move or right now are going to move have actually done so. And it's going to it's just it's gonna suck for Chicago, Houston, uh maybe not, maybe not Dallas. Dallas seems to be fairly robust. Fort Worth is always gonna be fine because Fort Worth has always been fine. Austin is still small enough that it could probably be be okay. And San Antonio honestly is probably not going to change all that much, right? Um, and then everything else is like, they're really, you know, in Texas is pretty, you know, pretty damn small. So from the standpoint of stability, Texas is where it's at, but you got like San Francisco, Portland, uh, LA, San Diego. Let's see what else, you know, I, Miami is probably going to be okay because it has such a huge component of Cubans living there, New York, you know, God, I mean, all the big, big mega cities that are out there that we're talking like multiple millions and millions of people. These guys are gonna bail. They're just gonna bail. They've been bailing for a while, but now the accelerator is. I mean, it's the long one on the right, stupid, and that thing is planted firmly through the ground at this point. So just be aware for that one. <clears throat> now remember the the theme for the next, you know, probably year. God only knows how much longer is going to be war on Bitcoin. Uh, this is a, yet another shot, not directly at Bitcoin, but sort of like, well, you'll get it. IMF, World Bank, G20 countries to create central bank digital currency rules. Uh, now they're in the rulemaking period. <laughs> so, October the 13th, 2020, we got this out of Coindesk from Hui. Uh, I don't know if it's female or male, but Otta says international financial authorities and 20 of the world's largest economies are establishing official standards for regulating and issuing sovereign di- digital currencies. Uh, the Group of 20, or the G20, an organization of finance ministers and central bank governors representing the European Union and 19 countries across every continent, said in a report today that it is working with the International Monetary Fund, and the World Bank, and... <laughs> the Bank of International Settlements, or the BIS, to formalize the use of central bank digital currencies and banking systems. According to the report, by the end of 2022, 2022, sorry, 2022 the GE20 members, <coughs> the IMF, the World Bank, and the BIS will have completed regulatory stablecoin frameworks <coughs> and research and selection of CBDC designs, technologies, and experiments. G- good luck! <laughs> stablecoins and digital currencies that are often linked to physical currencies like the U.S. dollar, the IMF, and the World Bank will have the technical capabilities to facilitate CBDC transactions between the countries by the end of 2025, the report said. Jeez, snail space. The countries will examine the scope for new multilateral platforms, global stablecoin arrangements, and central bank digital currencies to address the challenges that cross-border payments face without uh, compromising on minimum supervisory and regulatory standards to control risks to monetary and financial stability. The G20 Financial Stability Board, the FSB, a body formed after the 2008 financial crisis, said. God, that is a mouthful right there. The G20 roadmap about stablecoins follows a joint report released by seven central banks last week through the BIS in sketching out a transnational front around nationalized digital currencies. Last week's report, authored by the United States Federal Reserve, the Bank of Canada, the European Central Bank, the Bank of England, the Swiss National Bank, Sweden's Sveriges Risk Bank, and the Bank of Japan outlined uh, properties the central banks would require from CBDCs in their countries. The North American, European, and Japanese banks said CBDCs would need to be interchangeable with existing money forms and resemble cash in its ease of use in a swath of payment types at little or no cost. CBDC systems (coughs) should also connect to legacy financial technologies, settle high volume of transactions instantaneously around the clock, be impervious to cyber attacks and outages, and comply with regulations and monitoring that apply to money already in circulation and that retain central bank power, the report said. CBDCs can improve cross-border payments, counter Facebook, Libra-like corporate digital currencies, and transfer emergency fund payments to consumers during the coronavirus pandemic. Jeez, can you be any more short-fucking-sighted? God. But CBDCs would not be anonymous and self-running, the report said, of course, diverging from the virtual currencies whose distributed ledger technology they would borrow. Bitcoin transactions run on a blockchain network that masks and silos personal data from central actors while central banks would maintain access and visibility into CBDC payments and identities. The ECB, <coughs> I'm sorry. the ECB and the BOJ also stated this month that they are looking into issuing CBDCs. An ECB report said that a decision to issue a digital euro would be announced in April of next year. BOJ officials have said digital yen experiments are starting in the spring and called for a concerted effort to match China's digital yuan, the most expansive central bank digital currency being trialed yet. So, you guys are scared of two things. You guys are terrified of Bitcoin. And you guys are terrified of China. You should be. Honestly, (laughs) there's not much else to say about that one. Analysts say Bitcoin faces a sell-side crisis as buyers overwhelm sellers. You think? Joseph Young, writing at for btctimes.com on October the 11th, goes on to say, The number of Bitcoin on cryptocurrency exchanges has been rapidly declining, indicating a significant drop in selling pressure. Bitcoin reserves of exchanges often indicate whether there is selling pressure as Bitcoin holders typically deposit to exchanges to sell their holdings. When Bitcoin exchange reserves substantially drop over an extended period of time, it suggests there is a lower appetite to sell Bitcoin at the current price. A decline in sellers benefits Bitcoin more so than most stores of value in currencies due to its fixed supply. Since Bitcoin has a fixed supply of $21 million and the rate at which miners mine new Bitcoin is public knowledge, its price can be heavily affected when there are sellers in the market. According to Light, a pseudonymous futures and options trader, Bitcoin is currently experiencing a sell-side crisis. The trader emphasized that while the production of Bitcoin is limited and rigid, demand is increasing. That creates a shortage of Bitcoin in the market, pushing the price of the dominant cryptocurrency upwards. Quote, Bitcoin is experiencing the beginnings of a sell-side liquidity crisis. It has always been like oil on crack. Production is entirely inelastic. Demand, meanwhile, is reflexive. End quote. <coughs> Consequently, in the past three days, the Bitcoin prices increased by 8% from 10,530 to 11,400. The recent rally is particularly important because of its technical implications. 10,500 has been critical support level for Bitcoin throughout September and October. A strong reaction from buyers at that level to push Bitcoin above 11,300 indicates a positive market sentiment. On October the 8th, the BTC Times reported payments firm Square purchased 50 million dollars worth of Bitcoin. According to researchers at Whalemap, there were over-the-counter deals before the news was released. The researchers said, quote, I was looking forward to seeing if more OTC deals would come through, and they did. I am leaning more and more towards the idea that you can see these OTC deals happening on-chain before the news is released. End quote. That's an important quote. We might come back to that. High net worth individual investors in whales often use the OTC markets to accumulate Bitcoin directly from large sellers. Higher OTC market activity is considered a positive factor for short to medium-term price cycles. The confluence of declining selling pressure from retail investors on exchanges and the rising accumulation of Bitcoin by whales and high net worth individuals strengthened the argument that a sell-side crisis might be ongoing. Okay, so one, BitMEX, dude. I mean, people are literally liquidating the living shit out of all BTC holdings on BitMEX, and rightly so. I mean, their entire senior leadership staff just got indictments handed down against them by not only the DOJ, but the CFTC. They're in real trouble. Although I do wonder where Arthur Hayes is. (laughs) I love Arthur. I I know, I probably shouldn't because he introduced the whole 100X leverage thing, and I think that that's just a a gambler's way of, of destroying your family and your future. But other than that, man, Arthur's been a pretty cool cat. The second thing is that I'm looking at is this quote. I look forward to seeing if more OTC de- deals will come through and they did. I am leaning more and more towards the idea that you can see OTC deals happening on chain before the news is released. If that's true and you can nail that down, nothing is safe. <laughs> I mean, nothing is safe and that actually works against us as much as it works for us. Right. Because if you see OTC, if you're able to, to definitively say, I see an OTC deal happening right now in this block. This block just got minted. I can see inside, I can see these transactions, and I, I I've scanned the wallet addresses, and I know that these are OTC desks. It looks like they sold this many Bitcoin on OTC at this time for this price. You might as well at that point you might as well have just sold the shit out in the open. Just saying. So be, be aware. If you can nail this down and you can see OTC moves, uh, then that's a kind of a game changer. Just be be aware. Continuing with more news, Cointelegraph and let's see, who's God, did they not put the, the uh, author? Yeah, okay. Apparently Cointelegraph wrote this for Cointelegraph. I guess <clears throat> the first ever mining hardware marketplace has just launched. This is this company presents an alternative to sketchy Telegram channels for second-hand mining equipment. So I guess it's an eBay for old miners. ASIC Jungle has launched a beta version of what it calls the first ever mining hardware marketplace for cryptocurrency mining hardware. The company's CEO Artem Bespalov told Coingra- Coin Coin God, Cointelegraph, that he has created a trusted platform for secondhand mining equipment that operates without any middlemen. Well, you're forgetting the shipping, but we'll get to that. Quote It's the first and only online marketplace where buyers can interact directly with sellers through the platform and not have to use any brokerage services or telegram channels. I call them sketchy telegram channels because all sorts of things go on there. And we decided to create this ecosystem where buyers and sellers deal together between themselves. The company's solution to these problems is a two-sided marketplace that connects ASIC buyers and sellers in a secure and transparent environment. According to Baspiloff, ASIC brokers currently charging high premiums that are taking advantage of the market lack of price discovery mechanisms. He believes that these brokers create information asymmetry by withholding pertinent information. Baspiloff said that ASIC Jungle upholds a number of security features to ensure that transactions happen in a trusted environment, including an emphasis on AML compliance. <sighs> As the Canada-based company will be serving customers from all over the world, they intend to comply with both local laws and regulations and the compliance laws of the United States. Although mining equipment becomes progressively less efficient with the passage of time, Bespaloff assured that there is plenty of demand for second-hand equipment in places with very cheap or free energy sources, like some areas of Canada and Venezuela. Though the residents of the latter may be excluded from participation, <coughs> in in an effort to comply with the United States sanctions. Yes, you're a Canadian company that, by God, you've got to listen to the United States law. Dude. <sighs> no wonder people are tired of the freaking he- hegemony. This is ridiculous that other countries can't do what they want to do because of the United States. Ugh. <sighs> Both Bitcoin and Ethereum have recently experienced record-setting hash rate increases, indicating there will be no lack of interest in mining equipment in the near future. So, there you go. Looks like an eBay for uh, secondary mining. People like S.G. Barber and uh, Great American Mining may be happy about this. I'm not sure. Every time I hear Marty uh, talk about Great American Mining, for some reason it always seems like they're buying new miners, but... I just, I can't see that. I don't know. i have to just ask him directly, but but he may not say anything. Anyway, that's going to do it for round one of the morning roundup. Let's run the numbers. Oil is up by two points. Oh, nice. $40.23 $40.23 is going to be what it costs to, for you to get a barrel of West Texas Intermediate. <clears throat> Brent is also up 1.68%. 4242 42 is what it will cost per barrel. Natural gas doing its weird move down 2.6%. It's going to cost $2.08 to get a hold of 1,000 cubic feet of that. Gold is down 0. 0.17. It's going to come in at $1,925. Silver is down 0.6, 25 bucks. Platinum is down mm, a scant, $876. Uh, Let's see, what else we got here? Currency futures. The future of currency looks weak, but I don't need numbers to tell me that. So let's just do index. Dow futures is down 0.39. Looks like the S&P futures are down 0.06. NASDAQ futures is up 1%. And the S&P mini is down 0.6. So after stock markets rally yesterday, it looks like uh, it's going to cool off a little bit. But real money is what we're concerned about. 1BTC equals $11,525. It looks like we're going to have a high over a bit asset at $11,526.91. I'm going to have a low over at, where's my low? Low. Oh, hit BTC, $11,510. 311,000 transactions performed in the last 24 hours gives us 13,000 transactions on average per hour. 2.28 million BTC have been sent in that last 24-hour period. That's 95,000 BTC being sent every hour on the hour per average. 7.3 BTC is the average transaction value while the median transaction value remains high at 0.044 BTC, or about $511. Block times are low, uh, 9 minutes and 32 seconds. We have 0.5 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis, and 75 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. 6.4% increase in hash rate brings us up to 144.5 exahashes per second. And yeah, that's okay. Well, that's not an all-time high on hash rate, but it's... I mean, it's clearly up there. Ethereum at three hundred and eighty-five. Bcash at two forty-two. Litecoin at fifty dollars and a quarter. BSV at I God whatever. Ethereum Classic at five and a half. Dogecoin at zero point zero zero two seven, with forty-one thousand five hundred eight transactions in the last twenty-four hours. Dogecoin is beating out Ethereum Classic, and uh, well, clearly Bcash. Litecoin has had a fall in its average transactions per. 24 days, it is down to 93,103 transactions over the last 24 hours. Clark Moody, what do you got to say? $11,522 is the price Clark is looking at. We have 1,071 BTC in the Lightning Network. That is 12 million, sorry, $12.3 million in capacity. That's across 7,508 nodes representing 36,638 channels. Uh, slight uptick in the percentage of Tor capacity, we are up to 49.8%, that is 533.56 BTC on the Tor side of the Lightning Network, and that is spread across 2,471 nodes. That's going to do it for vitals. Welcome to round two of the morning roundup. Key on-chain data shows whales are actively accumulating Bitcoin. Joseph Young wrote this on October the 10th for BTC Times and says, according to data from on-chain market analysis firm Glassnode, whales appear to be actively accumulating Bitcoin. Since the March 13th crash, when the Bitcoin price briefly dropped below $3,600, the number of Bitcoin addresses holding over 1,000 Bitcoin has substantially increased. Glassnode researchers wrote, quote, The number of Bitcoin whales, entities holding over 1,000 BTC, has been on an up- upwards trend for the past months, an indication that more high net worth individuals are entering the space to invest in Bitcoin in expectation of BTC price appreciation. Data indicates that many high-net-worth investors are seemingly expecting the price to increase in the medium term. <clears throat> As the BTC Times extensively reported throughout October, there were several negative events that could have amplified the sell pressure on Bitcoin. When the United States Commodities and Future Trading Commission and the DOJ charged BitMEX with violating the Bank Secrecy Act, Bitcoin sharply dropped in a matter of hours. Since then, it has strongly recovered from below 10500 to as high as 11,491 on Binance in less than 10 days, based on data from Whale Map and Glassnote, it is possible that whales aided Bitcoin's recovery by heavily accumulating the dominant cr- cryptocurrency. There are several reasons whales might have found the 10,500 level a compelling area to purchase Bitcoin. First, the 10,400 to 10,570 price range has large whale clusters, which means many whales have bought Bitcoin within that range. Whales might have doubled down on their position by accumulating additional Bitcoin during the dip. Um, Hold on. Yeah, sorry about that. My uh, uh, digital audio workstation kind of was freaking out on me a little bit. and It it distracted me. I'm sorry. Second on-chain analysis say that Bitcoin fundamentals remain strong. Willie Wu, founder of woobull.com, said fundamentals potentially suggest a strengthening momentum in 2021. Quote, this is one of the few times in my Bitcoin career where the fundamentals are in moon mode, yet the market is not woke to it. They will be by 2021. This is an opportunity I've not seen since mid-2016. Wow, that's, and that's from Willie Wu. Okay. Atop the optimistic fundamental factors, technical analysts and chartists, including Peter Brandt, state that the high time frame charts of Bitcoin are highly optimistic. High time frame charts primarily refer to weekly and monthly charts of Bitcoin. They show a longer Bitcoin price cycle, which allows analysts to take into consideration the broader context of the market cycle. So the R B whales here. That's good. Might as well because we're going to get into this one. $11 million worth of Satoshi era Bitcoin moved. $11.4 million worth of Bitcoin from 2010 moved. And Matthew DeSalvo wants to know why. And he's asking this question on October the 11th and asking it for decrypt.co. Someone moved over $11 million worth of Bitcoin that has sat idle in wallets since it was mined in 2010. The 1,000 Bitcoin, today worth $11,425,000, moved to one address. The move was flagged by Kirill Kay, a professional cryptocurrency trader on LinkedIn. The Bitcoin was mined back in September of 2010, when Bitcoin was less than two years old and worth less than 10 cents per coin. Back then, the cryptocurrency was virtually unheard of and very cheap to mine. All the Bitcoin moved today was worth less than $100 in 2010. Wow. The mysterious holder of the Satoshi era coins would make an insane lottery like profit if they sold the coins today. Satoshi era Bitcoin refers to coins mined when Bitcoin's pseudonymous creator Satoshi Nakamoto was still communicating with the crypto world. Nobody's heard from Nakamoto since 2010, and his identity is still a complete mystery. Some believe, perhaps falsely, that whoever moved the coins must have been part of Nakamoto's inner circle. But why would someone move this Bitcoin now? Head of quant strategy at crypto firm Ikigagi Asset Management, Hans Hieu, wrote in LinkedIn that old miners have to be careful about how they move so as not to spook the market, but he added that $11 million dollars wouldn't really move the needle that much in either direction when billions of bitcoins shuffle around wallets each day. So just be aware there's people, you know, doing stuff and reaching for things. Data encryption is is a threat, apparently, to fighting child sexual abuse, says the Department of Justice. Pausing to reiterate that the war is coming. This is yet another shot. I'm serious. Be aware of this. This is all bullshit, but for some reason or another, we have to listen to it because it's from our elected officials. Cointelegraph's Turner Wright is writing this for on October the 11th. The department, along with other international agencies, alleged end-to-end encryption can create severe risks to public safety. Spin that narrative, bro. The U.S. Department of Justice has released an international statement claiming that the end-to-end encryption poses significant challenges to public safety, including sexually exploited children. There's your wrapper. It's for the children. In an October 11th statement from the DOJ, the agency called on technology companies to work with government to find a solution for strong data encryption with... <laughs> With the means to allow the investigation of illegal activity and content, the department stated end-to-end encryption that hindered law enforcement from accessing certain content creates severe risks to public safety. The statement was signed by the DOJ, the Home Department of the United Kingdom, the Australian Minister for Home Affairs, India, Japan, a New Zealand member of Parliament, and the Minister of Public Safety and Emergency Preparedness for Canada. Why is the United States Department of Justice releasing a statement that is signed by dignitaries from other countries? Is the DOJ part of Australia? Is it part of Japan? I mean, yeah, there's, there, I'm, I'm, I'm verbalizing some naivete here, but as far as on paper, is the DOJ part of any other country than the United States? No, it is fucking not. And the more that we pretend that it is or allow it to be pretend that it is by the other people of this nation, then the hegemony is going to do is just going to continue to metastasize around the world. I mean, it's not America. It's not the American people that are doing this. It's not the states of the union that are doing this. It's Washington, D.C. It's the people that live there, not the residents have nothing to do with the United States government, but come on, let's be clear. If you're living in Washington, DC, foggy bottom, Georgetown, any of the chances are good that you're connected with the United States government. And at this point, you guys are looking more and more like a mafia every single day. It's just sick. Anyway, the statement, or in particular, the DOJ stated that such encryption undermined law enforcement from investigating serious crimes and protecting national security. In addition, A tech company's ability to identify and respond to child sexual sexual exploitation and abuse, violent crime, and terrorist propaganda may be compromised, claimed the department. Citing a 2019 report from the National Center of Missing and Exploited Children, the government agency implied end-to-end encryption needed to be implemented with a solution to safeguard children, or it would undermine the current system of reporting such exploitation. Quote, in 2019 or 2018, Facebook Messenger was responsible for nearly 12 million of the 18.4 million worldwide worldwide reports on child sexual abuse material to the NCMECJ, the DOJ said, citing a 2019 statement from the We Protect Global Alliance. Quote, these reports risk disappearing if end-to-end encryption is implemented by default since current tools used to detect CSAM do not work in end-to-end encrypted environments, end quote. Elected officials, officials, in the United States have already acted to seek a legislative solution to investigating the illicit activities to which the DOJ referred. In June, three Republican senators put forth a bill that would outlaw end-to-end encryption for technology companies requiring device manufacturers and service providers to assist law enforcement by providing access to encrypted data. The bill, named the Lawful Access to Encrypted Data Act, is currently under review in the committee of the judiciary. There is also the EARNIT Act, a proposed bill that would require digital measures to first pass through government-approved scanning software in order to monitor for malicious criminal activity. Proponents of both bills suck ass. I mean, sorry, proponents of both bills have claimed their purpose would include protecting children from sexual abuse. However, many privacy advocates are heavily criticizing the bill's sponsors for what they perceive as the government encroaching on personal freedoms. Though its statement focused on end-to-end encryption, the DOJ stated it would extend its efforts to device encryption, custom-encrypted application, and encryption across integrated platforms. The government agency claimed it would hold a respect for privacy (laughs) at the forefront of any legal framework. Quote, we challenge the the assertion that public safety cannot be protected without compromising privacy or cybersecurity, the DOJ said. The DOJ lies to you. The United States Department of Justice is lying to you. Okay? They're not going to protect your privacy. And this has nothing to do with children. If you really believe that, then the naivete is, is entirely too strong with this one. It's just, I, I can't. I can't with this. It's blatant. It's naked. This is just naked bullshit. And we're either going to fight it. And I don't know how to see. That's the thing I can say, we got to fight this. How, how, how do you fight something like this? I mean, I'm not saying give up and die, but we got to figure out something. I mean, there's gotta be some mechanism through which we come up with like a raft of possible potential solutions that we can enact. I don't know. Like I said, man, I'm just, I just report on the news and this is bad news. This is this is terrible. Um however again since there <coughs> is precedent that encrypted that the use of encryption is protected by the 1st amendment um we've got some time on our hand but not a lot. This shit's going to get pushed through. Hopefully it will just end up at the Supreme Court. I don't know. I mean this is just and, not that I'm going to trust anybody, no matter how the sides are stacked in the Supreme Court, whether it's half or more blue or half or more red, doesn't really matter. In my opinion, the entire thing is they're enemies of the state, which is probably why this guy decided to buy a yacht. Cruise ship Satoshi wants to enable off-grid living on Bitcoin. BTC Times' Nick Chong is writing this one yesterday. For Bitcoin enthusiasts who don't get seasick, a new unconventional living concept is hitting the high seas. A cruise ship whose inhabitants can pay for their homes, services, and goods in Bitcoin. According to the boating publication, Maritime Executive Ocean Builders, a company previously focused on building seasteading projects, is in the midst of repurposing an old cruise ship formerly owned by Carnival Cruises, fittingly now named Satoshi. The 811-foot-long cruise ship, which began to sail in 1990, has a capacity of 2,000 residents across 777 cabins. When finished, the Bitcoin-themed cruise ship will have a series of cabins which will act as off-grid Seapod homes for those that purchase them. Instead of veering around the high seas, Satoshi will be moored 30 minutes away from Panama City, where cabin owners can live long- over longer periods of time, a press release announcing Satoshi Reads, quote, the ship will be anchored a 30 minute ferry ride away from Panama City in the Gulf of Panama. Their goal is to create a floating community for the advancement of ocean technology, engineering, sustainable living, and experimentation. Quote. The repurposing of a cruise ship for long term off grid living is unique in and of itself. Satoshi is the added bonus of allowing guests to pay for services, the cabins themselves, and a monthly fee using Bitcoin. The first sale will be taking place in November, where 200 cabins between, uh, priced between $25,000 and $50,000 will be sold to global buyers. Ocean Builders hopes to onboard cabin buyers as early as January 2021. That's coming up, dude. Chad uh, Elwathos, I can't pronounce his name, COO of Ocean Builders, hopes Satoshi will act as more than just a place for the Bitcoin rich to live. He told the maritime executive. That he wants the ship to be a hub of, innovate, of innovation and entrepreneurship. Uh, Mr. Elawalaramangamoto specifically called on cryptocurrency companies and entrepreneurs that may want to test products or services in an environment where there are many acclimated to Bitcoin. Uh, the guy whose name I cannot pronounce made headlines in 2019 when he and his partner came under threat from the Thai government after they built a floating home 11 or 14 nautical miles off the island of Fuck It. <laughs> It is yet unclear if he, along with those that live on this ship, will run into the same issues with Satoshi. Okay. So, what you want to do is take a whole bunch of Bitcoiners with their hardware wallets and put them all on a boat. Clearly, we've learned nothing. Anyway, let's see. Do we want to do this one? No, I don't want to do that one. Uh, Let's just, you know what? That's going to do it for the morning round, then. Daily Trainwrecked is brought to you by Alex Manuskin. Alex Manuskin, who says, If you were not yet convinced that you should not be approving infinite tokens to some random smart contract, here's a story of how John Doe lost $140,000 worth of uni in their sleep. Okay, there's not going to be a hard and fast place where I can set off the sound effects so you won't get one today, but Trainwrecked. This still is. John sees a fancy new farming scheme called Unicats and decides to put some money in. Who knows? It might be the next Wi-Fi. John decides to deposit some Uni and get the good old allow this DAP to spend your Uni message from MetaMask and thinks, oh this again. Yay, yeah, all the farming DAPs do that. Why why not? And and then approves the transaction. John farms some Meow coin and thinks, yeah, I'm done with this game. I'll pull out all my uni and retire now. What John doesn't know is that once you approve the contract to use infinite tokens, the contract can take their tokens at any time, even after they were withdrawn from the farming scheme. Introducing Unicat, the owner of Unicat's farm. Unicat is a greedy bastard. Not only was the whole thing a rug pull and scam, it also wants to go after all the approved tokens of the users. Unicat adds a backdoor to the farming contract. Anyone who is the owner can call the set governance method with the privilege to call any past data to any address. So, Unicat calls the set governance method with a call to the unitoken and the instruction to transfer John's tokens to the farm. The past tokens are then swapped to ETH on Uniswap. John loses 26,000 uni and then another 10,000 uni while they sleep. Unicat is a cunning bastard to cover their tracks for each new victim. It creates a new smart contract and passes the ownership of the farm to the new contract. Each new contract fishes out some funds, swaps them on Uniswap, and passes them to and address owned by Unicat. Stolen ETH are then moved into at-tornado cash in bulks of 100 ETH before moving on to the next victim. John Doe wakes up to figure out that half of their uni holdings are gone, swears off farming, and moves all their funds out of the account. Unicat continues to fish for more victims. Epilogue. If you have ever used the Unicat's contract, make sure to revoke every token you have approved using tools like tac.dapstar.io. Never approve more than you you need, especially for unaudited contracts. Read our blog on how, and then he gives a link to to the blog, clearly. And then there's some more uh, juicy details on the Unicats hack. John was not alone. Now, through this entire thread... Uh, there's a, it's peppered with several places where they have etherscan.io transactions that you can look at if you so choose, but this is why I Bitcoin. I'll leave it at that. Ooh, good God almighty, man. You know, this is worse than, this is worse than giving somebody your credit card number and they just continuously pull money out of your account or it's just as it's actually, it's not worse. It's just as bad. It solved nothing, except you're not getting anything out of it. You're just getting ripped off. Okay, whatever. All right, all right, all right. So, uh, yeah, mo- sorry, mo- moving on. Um, we have a Dad Says Jokes, except it's not Dad Says Jokes. This is actually from Jim Says. I tell dad jokes, but I have no children. I'm a faux pas. Yeah. Yes, sir. Jims Jim uh, Jim says uh, a pretty good dad joke honestly that that's not bad That's not bad at all. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is Tuesday, so uh, let's get to the rest of the week. Uh, we'll find out what's going to happen with Bitcoin I guess over you know we've been having these we've been having these really neat pumps that I swear to God they look like they're going to bart and then they don't bart. So we've, in fact, let me, hold on, see so if you find my, find my chart here. In fact, we've had one, two, we've had three potential BARTs had, that have been destroyed all in a row. We're at 11,500 right now, but over, see. So that was, let's see, When was that? Starting on October the 8th. Yeah, starting on October the 8th, we had a pump. And then again, we had another pump up on October the 9th. And then we had another pump up later on, on October the 9th. And then this last pump up was October the 12th. And each time it destroyed a BART. There, there's, something, there's something about that that's important is the fact that three BART, potential BART formations all were knocked over one after another. It, you know, honestly, that's, like I said, that's kind of important. Anyway. You guys have a good Tuesday. Uh, you know, work the rest of the week, yeah, do all the things, lift all the stuff. God, I think all of us are getting really bored with with this entire life. We're just ready to get onto a boat and risk our our hardware our hardware while it's on the high seas. I'm honestly thinking about it. I mean, Australia. I mean, at this point, we're going to have to mount a rescue for Steven and We're literally going to have to mount a rescue to get that boy off of that freaking island because Australia announced that they are looking at a two-year lockdown. Nobody in, nobody out for two years or until every single citizen of Australia is vaccinated for COVID. If that doesn't scare the living piss out of you, nothing will. And if it doesn't scare the living piss out of you, then they've won. They won, but if anybody does, if anybody like is listening in New Zealand uh, to this or possibly somewhere in Malaysia, if you could, could you rent a boat and run over to Australia and pick up Steven Levera so he can actually get out of his get out of Australia because he's stranded anyway. That's sorry. I had to do that. Um, send, send Steven some, some good vibes. Okay. Because that's, that's an awful awful thing to have to experience in my opinion but it is happening i fear it's going to happen more at one point or another we're going to have to fight i just don't know how but when we do figure it out i'll see you on the other side of that this has been bitcoin and and i'm your host david bennett i hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon have a great day